and we are live. Hello, everyone. My name is Josh Gilland, one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks, and I am here with my friends Gabby and Stephen to just nerd out about how much we love Hawkeye and what uh, the great legal issues in episode four that we've put together in an outline that I'm sure would make our former law professors very proud of us. So uh, how are you both doing, uh, Gabby and Stephen? I'm doing good. I, I love this episode. It was, you know, really kind of chock full of character development. I love that they're really kind of going hard with following not just the storyline um, of the particular comic, which I can't remember the number of, um, but, you know, the visuals as well, um, from Kate's t-shirt uh, to the markings on their face that they still have, you know, the scars and, and bandages. Um, so it's, it's really, you know, kind of a very much attention to detail, which I appreciate. Ben? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. And um, yeah, I agree. This episode just had so many great character moments and such great connections and really nuanced performances that really captured their um, their experiences really beautifully. And yeah, I was really happy with the episode. It was really fun. Yeah, I, I had to message both of you afterwards because I was just like, this this was good. <laughs> this yeah. was just really, really good. And I already had one e-discovery uh, contact reach out to me uh, because from his reaction from it as well. So the fact that you're, you know, I'm seeing that kind of reactions from folks who just want to talk about it uh, is really heartening. That this this Christmas story is connecting with people on a deep. Yeah, for sure. So with that, let's let's geek out over the great legal issues. And uh, I, I do love our outlines. I start something and you two just go off and run with deep legal analysis that you would expect on a bar exam. This is truly awesome. So, so the issue spot, right? Yeah. This is how I'm hardwired. This is what being a lawyer <laughs> has done to me. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's funny, even when we're not in practice anymore, like I am, you still, <laughs> it's just wired in, into your brain. For those of you who have never gone to law school, that's what they do. They take your brain out, they rewire it, they put it back in, and you graduate. And you get a piece of paper saying you're good to go into the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> so we, we open up with... Uh, Kate and Clint are in Kate's childhood home and there's an issue of like, okay, are they invitees? Are they trespassing? That I think is kind of fun because if you grew up in a place, do you consider that home that you can just enter whenever you want? And we have a uh, Jacques or Jack uh, using the Ronin sword to threaten Clint. Cause again, from Jack's point of view, Clint's trespassing. It's like, who the hell are you in my house? And who who swung for the fences on this one? This was Gabby. <laughs> I was so impressed. <laughs> it was uh, to me. I saw this as like a classic, like you know, on on a uh, law school exam of you know, kind of highlighting the castle doctrine. Um, which, for those of you who don't know, that is you know one of the key principles of self defense. Um, and the, the idea that you have the most right to defend yourself in your own home, um, even if somebody is not necessarily attacking you um, and you don't have a duty to retreat as you would in, you know, if you somebody tried to like mug you on the street. Um, but, you know, he has this, this kind of long standing right. It's very old of that people have um the right to um defend their castle right their whole you know, the home is your castle and so that is what jock jack is doing um he doesn't know who this guy is um although he seems to have some stealthy you know i guess he can hear clint's footsteps um that he just kind of you know uses a sword <laughs> that he has of his multiple swords that he has lying around the house uh to defend um, from what he believes to be an intruder in his home. Um, so yeah, baby proofing that place would really intense because you don't want a toddler having access to a 
sharper objects, let alone, you know, hundred year old swords. One on the dining room table, like that's that's a little much. The the one on the table is is a little much. Like the other one's fine, like they're decorative and and what have you, but um yeah that that was just but he doesn't he doesn't attack he ends up you know obviously the fact that clint is an avenger although not very well branded very recognizable avenger um tends to save him uh in that situation but there might be an argument that jack was kind of you know if he harmed clint that he would be um within his rights because he believed um that person to be an intruder uh, so it would just be an objective standard, whether somebody else, um, you know, the reasonable person standard, whether they feared uh, for their life or their home. Yeah, and it, it's fun seeing the reaction of, uh, you know, basically like a fanboy moment. It'd be like if there's a famous football or baseball player suddenly in your living room, it's like, wait a minute. And it's just having that, I know you, uh, uh, reaction. So that was very endearing. Uh, we do have uh, some privacy issues. And the fact that uh, uh, Kate's mom's uh, security, Bishop security is so Orwellian in nature. Uh, uh-huh. It's like that's very sketchy. Yeah. I don't know how a business like that could actually operate because there's the Stored Communication Act. You just can't access information on Facebook. You can get the private stuff, excuse me, the, the public stuff, but you can't get the private. So, and that's protected by, you know, a law that was passed in 86, 87, and really does need an upgrade because of how technologies uh, kept changing since the Reagan administration. So a lot of time has passed since that law went into effect. But you don't just get to data mine private information. So there's questions of like, what's private, what's public, what are they accessing, and how can you have such a uh, intense privacy, uh, concern, you know, issue with that? And Gabby, once again, you spotted. Well, I'm always it's 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 my ACLU friends would be proud of me. I mean, I'm always on those privacy issues. And, you know, obviously when we're talking about the internet and yes, there are, there are statues and stuff that need to be updated. It's important to note that the United States does not have the kind of privacy laws that somewhere like the UK or the EU has. Um, our main kind of statue is, is the HIPAA statues, which just applies to um, health information. But we do, you know, obviously there's confidential information which there's you know some dichotomy with you know what you put out on the internet right like you can find uh different public records right your dmv records and and all that kind of stuff um and especially if you're more public with your life than other people it's going to be easier to find information on you um and certainly you know public figures and and what have you um but at the same time Eleanor seems, obviously we saw her, her software system in the previous episode that she's has information on Kazi. Um, and, but she also, that, that moment when she's talking to Clint and she's like, I'm going to assume you have children. Why would you would assume an Avenger has children? Like that is not the lifestyle that somebody has children. Um, you know, so like that uh, to me immediately assumes that she's done background on him. Um, and like he says, and obviously we know that Maya also has information later in the episode, we see her booklet, which for some reason she only has the ages of two children, not the third child, the third child, but that's weird. Um, inconsistency. Um, but, um, you know, the fact that they're able to get this information, you would assume that, you know, Clint, it's kind of unclear what his status is, if he's still a shield agent, if he's kind of a retired shield agent. Um, you know, his information as an Avenger, at least, would be classified. Like, he is a high-profile kind of, not necessarily government agent, but he's, you know, I would imagine they would put protections and classifications in place for superheroes, um, you know, that people can't just roll up on the, like, Stark branch. Like, that's just not a thing that happens, right? Um, And so, and we know from Age of Ultron that his family is off the books 
um, because even the Avengers are surprised that this family exists. Um, so, but it seems that information gathering is very fluid in the Hawkeye universe because for some reason, Laura is able to just run a search from her, you know, farm in Missouri. Um, like, how is she able to get this information? Which leads me to believe she is either a retired or still active agent of some sort to have Eleanor's security company is a bit more shadowy, but I would assume that, you know, Laura's not breaking the law to get this information um, and that she has some sort of access. Um, and so it kind of leads me to believe that we are going to see her as a kind of um, not active shield agent. Um, and that may be how she and Clint met and that they may, I said this last episode, but that they're going to kind of retro um, retcon her as Mockingbird. Um, I can definitely see that happening. I, I agree with that. I'm pretty sure she is Mockingbird. And uh, if there is an attack on the farm, I'm pretty sure she's going to kick some serious ass. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I want to see it. I want to see what she deserves. Like, <laughs> she, she already knows German. Like she's <laughs> like she just breaks out German randomly. Like you know, it's it's great. It's yeah. it's gone from like supportive, you know, spouse to like now she has like an active level of involvement. Like she's she knows her stuff. Yeah, she's keeping the house safe and uh, will snap anyone's neck who crosses that threshold. So it's like, I really do want to see that happen. Uh, that's a fun <laughs> Christmas book gift. Can, uh, Gabby, can, can, I, can I ask really quick? Um, so I was unclear. So Kazi, Kazi um, was an employee of the security company. Is that how he his information came up in the system? Is that right? No, I think, I think the Sloan entity is something separate. And what it okay. seemed to be, although they didn't really make it clear just from a visual perspective of how they shot that scene, um, Especially, you know, you normally see like somebody types in a name and then like information comes up. Um, I think that was what she was doing. And she mm -hmm. pulled up that he works for this company called Sloan, which Got is it. why okay. Clint had Laura look up the company Sloan to find out that it was owned uh, by Jack Jock. Um, Got it. So, yeah. Yeah, so it was more like a kind of a corporate record search or something that might yeah. be sort of yeah, a... Yeah, but still having somebody's employee records. Yeah. Although I will say that there's a lot that we as lawyers, when I worked for a medical malpractice firm, there is a subset of LexisNexis that allows you to pull public, you know, yeah. records. Yeah. Um, although I don't think you see employment records. You do see, you know, your voting history. Mm -hmm. um, your you know registration status uh your addresses your phone numbers who your spouse is yeah. um all of that kind of kind of public what we consider public records as far as you know documents that would be filed with like the state or federal government right um, and on and on their own each of those things is relatively doesn't have a lot of value but there are huge corporations that their entire business model is aggregating all that data to make more specific predictions about how individuals will behave. Um, so yeah, it's a it's really um, an area of the law, as you said, that requires a lot of catch up a little bit <laughs> to how yeah, the technology yeah. is developed. And it's it's interesting where, you know, your data kind of lives. And, you know, we think I, I tend to think about like the systems I've used. And yeah, you can see records, like I said, you know, voting records, like I use uh, campaign software that you see voting records. Um, but you really don't see that employment. So that lends kind of a shadowy element unless somebody has affirmatively kind of, you know, you Google somebody lawyer's name and they pop up on the website. Um, you really don't see that employment record. So it, it adds a shadowy element, I think, to, to Eleanor's system. Here, here's the other thing. I think Eleanor's bad. So oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be so surprised if she was the one who killed... Uh, jack's uncle and he's giving major major villain vibes um and i think i i've seen kind of you know some um thought as to who she calls right because as soon as clint leaves she calls somebody um there's speculation that she could be calling valentina um and that's how um that you know because we don't really know when that black widow post-credit scene took place 
um, that perhaps she contacts Valentina and Valentina then goes to get Yelena and kind of that's, you know, how Yelena comes to New York to, to get Clint. Um, the other thing is she could be, you know, contacting Kingpin, like she could be working with Kingpin as well. You know, he's not the type of guy to have one entity of the tracksuits. Like he would have um, multiple, multiple entities. So I can see her also working. And we saw the conversation earlier with um, Armand. So sh this is kind of a cabal type thing of kind of shadowy people um, that she is, you know, kind of smack dab in the center of. Basically, Clint should adopt Kate, you know, at this point and uh, <laughs> take her to the farm, like have her <laughs> live out her days over there. There's some yeah, good schools like, in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, it's like this. Here's your new aunt, and <laughs> here we go. Yeah, like this is welcome to the family, kid, and uh, you're safe here, and you can shoot arrows. We'll be fine. Everyone will be fine and happy. Well, let's uh, trick arrows. There, there are multiple issues with this. So we get liability. <clears throat> pardon me, allergies. Liability issues for Clint. Uh, arrows getting left left around, and then we have a giant com conspiracy with LARPers. So, uh, why don't we take the trick arrow que question first? For he leaves them. It's not like he goes and picks them up afterwards. <laughs> And there are rules when it comes to, you know, the police will uh, take inherently dangerous weapons. Like if, if, like if there's a gun in a field, they're not going to leave the gun. Like they're going to take it. And I think there's a good argument that an arrow would fall into that category, even though you do need a, a bow. But it's still a sharp object. You could still harm somebody with it. So it's an inherently dangerous weapon that's just lying around. And these can be, I mean, like the ones that are explosives. Okay, yeah. those are gone. Those are okay. explosives as well as arrows, yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, so the shaft's gone. Uh, I mean, on one level, I took archery in college. So this does bring back memories, and I do miss it, uh, you know, just watching this. Uh, but uh, there, there's, he's going out, he's leaving them. So Gabby, you did part of this for the liability and Stephen, if you want to take the um, conspiracy side of it, uh, let, let's have some fun. So Gabby. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that raised a number of concerns because you think like not just this instance, think of every time Clint has shot arrows, like he needs to go collect those or if he's leaving them like in, you know, whether it's the airstrip, at, you know, in the Battle of uh, Civil War, uh, Sokovia, although you would imagine all those got destroyed. So like, you know, that's kind of a moot point. Um, but, you know, you think of all the times um, he's left these around and there are laws, you know, if we're equating kind of uh, arrows to firearms, um, there are laws that can create liability for not storing weapons safely. And we, we actually have one here in Connecticut um, so there's obviously a responsibility to store safely uh, loaded firearms. Um, so, you know, you have to secure it safely, um, keep it away from minors, um, and to keep it in a way that is not a risk to you or, or other people. Um, but there's also strict liability if, a uns if you are in violation of that responsible storage um, statute. Uh, there is strict liability if somebody is harmed um, by that firearm. You are responsible. So if Clint left his arrows lying around and somebody, you know, exploded one, injured, like stabbed another person um, with the arrows, or like I can imagine, you know, an arrow is face up uh, by way of, you know, way, how it lands, um, and somebody falls and is impaled upon said arrow. <laughs> Clint would be strictly liable for not safely securing um, those arrows because the, the, these laws, which exist in 27 states as well as the District of Columbia, um, are to, um, intended to prevent unauthorized users of firearms, um, in, including you know, uh, injury by suicide, um, unintentional discharges, 
um, and gun theft. Um, and the, they're meant to limit accessibility to these firearms uh, by unauthorized users, including minors, but also thieves. Like people, can you imagine? These are clearly high tech. I would imagine they were produced by Stark, given the fact that uh, Hawkeye says there's no more in the world, um, right? So, you know, these are highly valuable. They belong to an Avenger. I think it would be clear that these are Hawkeye's arrows as opposed to like, you know, some random person's arrows or, or yeah. So um, they would be very valuable uh, and a thief could possibly injure themselves if they don't know what a trick arrow it is, that they think it's a regular arrow and it's not. Well, there's also a warehouse someplace with a giant one that they had to extract from the bridge. Right, so, exactly. It's like a six-story arrow <laughs> that he dropped on the Manhattan Bridge. <laughs> How did that happen? Guys, yes. <laughs> someone call Pim. Yeah, yeah. And I also have to say, uh, to lead into Stephen's part, that those cops were way too like you know willing and able to commit tamper evidence tampering. Uh, for some LARPing costume. <laughs> right. That does not seem to be an equal trade-off in my mind at all. It's, it's a very suspended your disbelief moment, I suppose. <laughs> like, um, but they didn't even go in. Like they, they just said, like, we'll do it if you make it worth our while. And they didn't really make an agreement about what the quid pro quo would be. They're just like... Um, we'll just set that up later, I guess. So they, they, and they didn't resolve it until when, um, you know, later when the arrows were being delivered, what that contract would be. They just were like, yeah, we'll do it. And we'll come up with something later. It's fine. <laughs> like, that seemed pretty fast and loose and pretty corrupt of those and police officers. that lady just stepped up. She was like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the cop you're looking for. Like I can go commit, put my job in jeopardy for some arrows for an adventure. Like, this is happening. I mean, that's a hell of you talk about brand recognition. That's a powerful brand recognition issue right there with like, I'm in. Sure. Yeah. It's like you guys have saved the world a few times. We're calling this even. Uh, I, I'm like, and if she's caught, like if she replaces the the arrows or if they just go missing, I don't know which which plan she's she's gonna, you know, facilitate here. But if caught, do you just say like, "Hey, I was helping Hawkeye"? Is that your defense? And right. will the, will you know, internal <laughs> affairs go like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Avengers, of course. <laughs> that makes sense. That's that's gonna lead to the amendment to the Sokovia Accord. Like, you right. cannot assist an Avenger for illegal stuff. Like, you just can't right. do it. Uh, like assistance of Avengers is not an affirmative defense to any crime, <laughs> state, local, or federal. <laughs> At that point, it's just jury nullification or prosecutorial discretion with them going, oh, okay, that totally makes sense. I would do the same. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a big like, mulligan card for, for all of them. Yeah. Well, can, can you imagine the, like, I can imagine the opinion, just like the floodgates would open and everybody would blame helping an adventure. Like, I went to go get drugs to, to help Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> My <Yeah>. buddy Tony. <laughs> no, I mean, just policy, it's bad on so many levels, but it's, again, it's jury nullification at that point. It's like, yeah, he saved the world. I think he needed my help. Like, I would say, no, I'm not going to be that schmuck. Yeah. <laughs> Billions yeah, and it wasn't like he wasn't even talking to that officer who's kind of like stepped up. She's just like volunteered. Yeah, I'm in. Like, you just make it worth my while. Like, what does that mean? That's so shady. Uh, well, and and as you pointed out, Josh, the tampering with evidence, like specifically going into a police evidence locker and stealing evidence, <laughs> it's, that's um, a crime. Uh, it's it's a tampering with evidence crime, and in New York, it's um, Section twenty. 1540 and it's a class e felony to um tamper with evidence which includes um uh kind of 
suppressing the evidence by an act of concealment or alteration or destruction. Um, and that would certainly like stealing the evidence to, from the police locker to, um, to give it to someone else and prevent it from being used in an official proceeding is obviously a felony. And of course, as you mentioned, the fact that they agree in this sort of common scheme to you know, you do this for me and I'll do this for you. That is an, a conspiracy <laughs> which makes everyone criminally liable for that crime. Um, it's just a terrible idea and it's certainly not something that, well, I mean, you know, police officers um, who are not corrupt would not do that. And what's, what's questionable too is like how secretive she was about it. She walks out with this giant gym bag. <laughs> so clearly she went an evidence locker with the empty gym bag and everybody knows what an empty gym bag looks like versus a full gym bag walks in walks back out with a full gym bag and nobody questions it like nobody stops her and is like um ma'am what are you doing <laughs> and, and it's monogrammed by her wife so like her name's on it so it's just like I mean, there's a fair amount of hubris right there with like, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to walk in like I own it. And even if I don't work in that branch, it's like, no, I'm not normally there. <laughs> like, I need there. this lady's backstory because like, who just volunteered? There's so many parts that were like, I don't know if, if not just her as a character, but like the writer's room of like, we're going to write this like scene to get Hawkeye back his arrows and we're gonna loop back in the, the LARPers but like we're gonna have her just like up and volunteer and like in a gym bag that because I, I I believe it's a nod to her character there's a character of Bombshell um, who has her name I don't remember her name very obscure character huh. um, I did not pick that out I am just of the kind of reviews and stuff that I saw um, I guess it shows like the the diversity of the websites we visit, Gabby. Because the theory I saw was that it was a nod to uh, the Smash television show, which featured like the Bombshell musical. <laughs> <laughs> so someone was like, they're really big musical theater fans in New York. Yeah. So, but I like I mean, your it Marvel. Could be both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it was just that was so like it almost broke, you know, kind of your immersion because it was just like. What is going on? <laughs> a bit of stretch of suspension of disbelief. But... And they're just like making snickerdoodles and they're like, yeah, like make, you know, I'll make you a costume. Oh, like make, you know, I'll get you the materials and like you make your costumes and I'll make my costume, like make us two extra. Like that was, that was weird. It's silly. But I'm completely on board with it. I mean, like that, I, I know other geeks that completely tracks with how, like people like us behave it's like yeah i totally see snickerdoodles being made and costumes being worked on like that completely seems yeah. normal although i will say if chris evans came up to me and asked me to go do something illegal i still would not do it i would not be that like gung-ho to go commit a, a felony for for somebody it's just a class E felony, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's not it's that only, deal. It's only <laughs> disbarment. <laughs> disbarment, jail time. Federal fine. prison, the whole nine yards. Yeah, no, like, no big deal. Oh, yeah, but that was just so insane. And yet I love it anyway. And, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's also interesting to see that New York has like six levels of conspiracy and it depends upon the class of felony that's taking place so with the tampering with evidence being a class e felony i think this makes it a class five felony or maybe class six uh i'm not a you know uh prosecutor or criminal defense attorney in new york but just looking Shout at out to all of them for navigating this. Right. I, I will just observe it. After looking at some of these New York statutes, really hats off to New York practitioners. Some of these statutes are really tough to parse. Yeah. That's that's like, wow. I thought California had a Napoleonic code with the way that we've written things. But yeah, uh, yeah. 
good job guys that that looks really complicated so we we then get into kate entering uh echo's apartment and steven why don't you take the the light b and e that happens here oh my gosh so much breaking and entering happening in this episode <laughs> so much <laughs> um obviously breaking and entering is a is a crime um it's a um, it's a criminal trespass, basically, um, that um, the New York Penal Law 14005 says that a person is guilty of trespass when he knowingly enters or remains unlawfully upon the premises, um, including trespass. Um, but then also, um, so that's just the breaking and entering. That's the act of using force to um, sort of get into a place. Um, but then there's the burglary um, criminal prosecution, which is the intentional entering of a property to commit a felony therein. Um, and in New York, the conduct I think that um, the Kate um, engaged in would have been a first degree burglary under 14030, which um, requires the knowing entry into a dwelling, because the other burglaries just are just sort of a, a building. But first degree is entering into someone's home, and it obviously is Echo's apartment, um, with the intent to commit a crime, which is stealing the watch, um, which is a larceny, um, therein while, um, while armed with explosives or a deadly weapon, which I think exploding arrows are probably both. <laughs> so they've, the prosecutors have gotten those elements pretty covered. Um, but also she, um, it can also be a class one felony if, or first degree burglary, if it's, um, if the um, perpetrator causes physical injury to any person who is not a participant in the crime. And obviously her and Echo get into a fight and she injures Echo. So um, Kate's pretty um, open and shut guilty of burglary um, as well as um, criminal trespass. Um, but also she, um, I know I, I kind of paused the video to see how she jimmied the lock. And it looked like it was like this tool that had like retractable, like a Swiss army thing um, that had like little lock picking um, uh, tools on it. So um, there's a separate also crime in New York for possession of burglars tools um, under 143.5. Um, so she could probably also be charged with that um, as well as, as I think, Gabby, you, you pointed out that she once she's inside, she's also vandalizing things. I know. I was like, can you imagine the cleanup costs? of getting that crap off of the silent alarms, which is key to like by, which is interesting. Those are very like high quality alarms because you can still see them through the slime or whatever those are. Right. Um, but like she's vandalized, you know, it gets on the walls and everything. Like that's a, um, so Echo could definitely send that bill to Kate, like Kate's got the money for it, but, um, she would definitely be responsible for that vandalism as well, which is another crime she's committing. I don't think she goes in with the attention of committing vandalism, um, but she does commit vandalism while there. Um, and it, I'm, I'm curious, um, what happened that the New York penal law statue, um, includes explosives in addition to a deadly weapon. Who is right. going around committing burglary with explosives? That's Even a great observation. <laughs> that they had to amend or include when they were drafting the statue or amending the statue to include explosives specifically because an explosive is a deadly weapon. They had to explicitly include explosives. So I'd like to know the background of that because now I'm like really curious. I'll, I'll ask our friend, uh, New York Judge Matt Chirino, uh, because Judge Chirino <laughs> might have some thoughts on like, how that happened? Like, right. what happened? <laughs> it's very specific. And like, I, I'm, you know, involved in the legislative process. So I know that something had to happen for right. that to go through a process of either when they were drafting it or amending the statute to include that. So there's a story there. That's really specific. We'll have to do some legislative history research. To see what, <laughs> like, what happened here? <laughs> like, seriously, what happened that this became a thing? Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's so much larceny. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, I think this episode should really be titled, like, Committing Crimes. Am I right? Like, <laughs> yes. That's literally everybody. I think with the exception of like Kazi and like 
you know, is the really the only person that doesn't affirmatively, you know, commit a crime this right. episode. Like, Although he, he may be the, the victim of crimes. He is the victim episode. of a crime. So everybody is out here committing crimes, like just nonchalantly committing like, you know, petty larceny and stuff. Like, it's ridiculous. It's pretty intense. And yet I still love it. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we have a vandalism of the uh, chance at love poster. Um, Gabby, was this you? This was not me. This was that Steven. That was mine. Okay. <laughs> um, away, I, Steven. Yeah, I just love that moment where she's being her like uh, always sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> Pepe Sylvia moment where she's like sketching out the conspiracy and using the markers on her aunt's um the mysterious moira um uh to um to map out who she thinks is connected to who um there is a penal code statute 14500 it's the criminal mischief statute which is um how they explain vandalism um which requires the intentional damage of another's property um and it's there's degrees from fourth to first, depending on the value of the property. And I was thinking she, cause she didn't realize that the markers were not dry erase. So mm -hmm. she intentionally did the act of marking on the glass of the, uh, of the presumably somewhat valuable poster. Um, but, um, but she didn't know that she was actually permanently damaging it. So she may have a sort of a defense to the intent element there. Yeah, but I, I think there may be some other kind of liability for Kate. I mean, they're out here, you know, drinking the the aunts, um, you know, margarita mixes and daiquiri mm -hmm. mixes and, you know, throwing coins throughout the house and and obviously damaging the print, uh, possibly wearing her clothes. Um, I know Kate wears the clothes in the first. So like they're and eating her food like <laughs> this lady's going to come back to right. not what she's expecting. It's like a pillaged apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my theory on the aunt. She's not a nice lady. Yeah. It, she has a mug that says Thanos was right. That's like having a mug saying Stalin was right, Pope Pot was right, or Hitler was right. Anyone who thinks genocide is okay is a bad person. And if she got that mug after half the planet came back to life because she's upset half the planet came back to life, she's a horrible individual. And yeah. that doesn't give license to uh, ransack her home, but it, it does temper my sympathy uh, significantly because <laughs> it's like, you're bad. You yeah. thought the world was a better place when half your neighbors were dead. Yeah. What I find interesting, and I'm interested to see how this is going to develop throughout the kind of, I would say, this next phase of the MCU, um, because we saw in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, obviously, you know, the, the different groups between, um, I can't even remember their name now, of, you know, fighting for kind of asylum, you know, after they had been displaced. Um, after the snap, the reverse snap, um, you see Clint sees in the bathroom in the first episode, Thanos was right. You see now the mug that says Thanos was right. So clearly this is like an underground merch thing that people are, you know, buying. Um, I'm interested to see, um, you know, and, and obviously, um, Sam Wilson makes, makes mention of it in his speech in the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier of like considering, other people's viewpoints um, and, you know, thinking of how other people, you know, would feel if they were displaced and, and whatever and having conversations. And a lot of that, those kind of beats echo what we're seeing in our own kind of culture now, um, you know, with the division and, you know, one group thinking one thing and the other group thinking another. Um, so I'm interested to see how they play that out of, as far as the snap um, and, you know, obviously people know Thanos' ideology somehow, even though nobody necessarily interacted with Thanos, um, you know, but that, that you know, how that plays out as kind of a political commentary will be interesting to see uh, throughout, because it, it does seem like they're going to continue to develop this. And, oh, go ahead. I, I think Thanos' ideology would become pretty well known because of what happened, that 
that those who survived the snap would have been interviewed and the you know the avengers who fought in wakanda would explain what happened and it would become common knowledge like like after 911 you mm-hmm. know people got very educated about al qaeda very quickly on what does this group want i think it would be a similar uh, reaction but again it's like somebody a new yorker having a mug that said bin laden was right yeah. it would just automatically despise that individual mm-hmm. and which is why i people people saying thanos was right it's like i mean you'd want to deck them it's just it's a very vile it's like who are you to decide who lives and dies why are you thinking somebody playing god was mm-hmm. justified because again yeah. you, stalin murdered 25 million farmers uh, mao greatly forward butchered around 20 million you just you don't you don't see merch with their names on it because they're vile disgusting people and thanos would be in that category yeah it's interesting because i um i I'm, i'm not a like I don't know a lot of the um, sort of more deep cut Marvel characters or storylines, but when I was looking at, into this, it, M. Brandon, Moira Brandon, her aunt, um, is a reference to it, a really kind of ancillary character in one of the old Hawkeye comics. Um, I don't, mm-hmm. Gabby, do you know about that? Did you? Yeah. So, so Moira Brandon is her aunt in in mm-hmm. in the comics, and um, she actually owns this like home uh, that ends up becoming utilized by Hawkeye to become the um, West Coast Avengers campus. Right. Um, so it, it's kind of a throwaway line of, you know, a th- kind of, like you said, ancillary character. Um, but it's interesting, you know, I think the parallels here is that they're kind of using her apartment in New York as, as this kind of um, home base for, for them to do their um, casework. And yeah. Yeah, and it turned out that I think in the comic that she actually had a sort of a heroic moment where she helped Hawkeye and Mockingbird um, stop, um, uh, you know, a, a villain at one point. Um, and and I and I read that um, Hawkeye made her sort of an honorary member of the West um, Coast Avengers. <laughs> so maybe who knows? Like that's weird that um, you know she has such a weird um, the um, artifacts in her apartment that are um, problematic. But that in the comic she was actually sort of a hero. It's weird. Anyway, I think that was just somebody from marketing thinking like, "Hey, we can sell some merch that says Thanos," <laughs> right? and not thinking about what that truly meant. Yeah, because uh, it just, I find it vile. Yeah, uh, it's weird. Uh, but again, I see people buying T-shirts that say that now, or buying mugs because it's just it's an easy sell, and I just it's just dark. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I say that as somebody who's team cap, so it <laughs> really bothers me. But uh, but wait, there's more. So while, while <clears throat> a new Black Widow showing up automatically brings in murder for hire. So hiring someone- Why did she, I would, I would raise an objection to that um, because Yelena's a trained assassin. There are a number of times she could have KO'd any three other people on that roof. And she did not. She uses a non-lethal form of um, combat, obviously, you know, engaging with them hand to hand. But when she attacks them, she uses, I believe it's called the widow's bite. Um, But that's just a stun. You know, you can see both... um, Maya and Clint are able to pull that off of them. So it's not, it's to disable them, not to kill them in any way. Um, Even Kate, if you watch that scene closely, when she goes to knock Kate off, she clips her belt and that's why Kate, you know, uh, falls off but is still attached. Um, So I don't think she went there, despite what um, Valentina said, I don't think she went there with the intention to kill Clint because she could have ended that real quick. We saw not just her skills there, but we saw them in Black Widow. So if she wanted to end Clint, she could have done it like dusted him real quick. No pun intended. Um, but she could have, you know, ended that really quickly. So I think she's trying, despite what um, obviously Valentina may want to take 
you know, him out. And that's um, maybe murder for hire there with Valentina, um, what she hired her for. But um, I think she's trying to talk to Clint. I don't think she's actually trying to kill him. So that uh, good analysis. Uh, I agree about Kate because I caught that immediately with if she wanted to kill Kate, she could have. And and they do have the stare down where, uh, you know, we do see the kind of the head shake of like, don't don't do it. And so, again, it adds to drama. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the end of Black Widow with the post credit scene, it was just like that bothered me because it's like, is she stupid? Does she like why? What does she think happened that got Natasha killed? Like, why do you think that Clint's at fault for Natasha sacrificing herself so they could get the soul stone so they could bring everybody back? Why is that noble sacrifice Clint's fault? Uh, because both were willing and Natasha didn't want a dad to kill himself. Uh, she was willing to, to take the fall. So, uh, and you think Natasha's story would, would be out besides the fact that she was just dead because it's mm -hmm. a better way to, to idolize her uh, for her sacrifice. Because Tony's sacrifice is clear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because he, he went out publicly and where Natasha was just Clint and the Red Skull. So it's just, uh, uh, but that that's another discussion. Stephen, you you look pensed and ready to discuss. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I you're you raise a good point. I don't know how um, how people would really know what happened um, between Natasha and Clint. Um, and Elena is um, is sort of vulnerable to Valentina's kind of manipulation at a point when she's grieving. Um, and, you know, being told that someone is responsible for a, that loved one's death, ultimately, um, you know, I, I wonder how much critical thinking she's capable of doing at that point to question um, it, uh, whether he really was, in fact, responsible. But at the same time, as you observed, like, he, she doesn't seem to be there to murder him, like mm -hmm. um, Valentina suggested she should. Um, and also, is um, did, it's not clear to me that Valentina, um, like, paid her to to yeah. to sort of assassinate Clint. I don't know if she was hired necessarily, as so much as kind of manipulated into yeah. doing it, um, which is maybe more like a conspiracy type thing. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's a, that's a that's kind of a really murky, interpersonal um, sort of who knows what um, question. Yeah. And, and what I would say if I was defending Valentina, which I'm not by any means. Um, I mean, but I do love Julia Dreyfus. I would defend Julia Louis Dreyfus, but not Valentina. Um, <laughs> but she also, like Stephen said, there's not an exchange of money that we know of. Um, and all she says is, would you like revenge on the person responsible for your sister's death? I would argue that she's just planting, I mean, obviously you wouldn't say that she's planting information. She's just having a conversation. What Yelena does with that information is up to her, but she has no, she's just passing along a name and, the, you know, theoretically a location. Um, but that's how she could kind of wash her hands and be like, I just gave her the name. I didn't do anything like that's on her, um, you know, so um yeah that's very trumpian uh with the, <laughs> uh let's go to the capital and give mike strength you know like yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> uh yeah that doesn't fly uh but yeah but you know that's that's the argument to make and what i what i'm really excited to see and i saw this pointed out is that yelena uh could become kate's natasha um, and that she and, and, and Kate could end up having that kind of similar relationship. Because remember, Hawkeye specifically mentions that the most important shot he ever took was the one he didn't take. Um, and Kate doesn't, she's ready to like hit Yelena like dead on and she doesn't. 
uh, she hesitates and then Yelena shakes her head. Um, so she doesn't take that shot. What a great um, observation. Nice. Yeah. And I think, I think that could be, you know, an interesting, I love both of their characters. I think Yelena was hands down my favorite part of Black Widow. Although I do like that they got her into the same pose that she made fun of, of that <laughs> for. Um, but I, I, I really loved her. I think Florence Pugh is just fantastic. Like I could watch her for hours. Yeah. She's fun on Instagram. So it's, it's like, okay, she's, she's really cool. And I do think having the, well, it wouldn't be, there's a bromance, but a show with two women, I don't know what that's called. Um, but having that kind of relationship uh, where, where they're off on adventures, I would watch that. I think that would be fun um, because it, it, it continues the motif of Hawkeye and Black Widow with an, another generation. So mm -hmm. I do think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, it's also good to see her to go from movie to small screen and probably back again. Uh, so it, that is, that is fun. Plus we, yeah. we can get more character development with a TV show. I, I really hope, I think what would be an interesting dynamic is if they, if they took that and they, um, obviously Kate's going to be in the young Avengers along, you know, with Patriot and Stature and, and all of them. But it'd be interesting if they brought Yelena in to kind of mimic the um, kind of team of the Avengers, that this is the young Avengers, um, and that you see that kind of Clint-Natasha relationship between the two of them in um, a young Avengers, either TV series or movie, um, and that that's kind of, like you said, the next generation uh, carrying it on. Yeah, you know, like whatever, whatever the, but it could be phase five at the rate that they're going. So there's, yeah. there's a lot there. Uh, I just added is now Kate an accessory after the fact and covering up Clint being the Ronin. And I think I'd figuring it out is one level doing anything with taking an affirmative step to cover it up, I think could place her in liability. But mm -hmm. her figuring it out is, by itself is not a grounds for concern. Because I do think, yeah. I think anyone paying attention would eventually figure it out. Um, I mean, I'm just surprised that like the people who stole the Ronin suit from the Avengers compound didn't figure it out. So <laughs> that's, that's questionable. Like, yeah. what is a, a mercenary suit doing in the Avengers compound? There's only so many people that have access to the Avengers compound. Clearly, it has to be an Avenger. Like the, the wreckage, because it did suffer an airstrike at close range. So uh, did he just change and leave it there? Like what, I don't, like that doesn't seem smart. I'm like, what were they, what, how'd that end? Like, how did they leave uh, post battle with Thanos? You know, did he go like, okay, I'm going to change into Hawkeye gear. Uh, <laughs> so people don't put this together. A uh, couple thoughts. I think the LARPers are going to give the, the Hawkeyes matching uniforms. So I think that's mm -hmm. how we get. You know, the purple on purple, and I'm completely down with that. And uh, we'll see what happens next. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts or hopes for what we see with this? Obviously, I'm I'm waiting for Kingpin. Like we just got confirmation that Charlie Cox is going to be back in the MCU. Um, although I would not have expected that coming from Faye, but it came directly from the horse's mouth. So, um, you know, he obviously kind of walked it back and he was like, I don't know when we're going to see him, but if we see him, it's going to be him. Um, so I, I definitely am looking forward to seeing Kingpin. Um, I'm interested to see obviously the confirmation of Laura as Mockingbird. Um, and the other one I'm interested to see is the theory. Um, I've seen several theories of um, who the watch belongs to. Yeah. Um, right. And the one that I'm kind of on board with um, is that it has to do with the scrolls, um, and that Laura herself may not be a scroll, um, but that it may belong to Nick Fury. 
um, and that, you know, it is part of, obviously we saw in uh, Far From Home um, that Nick Fury is working with the Skrulls. Um, and so he obviously, he had the, um, the beeper to con <laughs> contact, um, but, you know, the watch may be some sort of other um, interdimensional um, uh, communication or kind of signal device um, that he may have used. So he may, by, if somebody, you know, Clint obviously says goodbye friend, if the watch gets discovered, uh, could put, you know, Nick Fury in jeopardy. Um, it could put, you know, a particular scroll agent in jeopardy. I just don't see that watch belonging to Laura because it does seem like a man's watch. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see the, um, and obviously we know that watch is red and gold, which are Iron Man colors. So it'll be interesting to see uh, the kind of mystery of the watch solved. Yeah. Stephen, any hopes? All of that, and also, I'm just, I'm really, in, I loved that scene between Clint and Kazi in the car. I, I think that Kazi has so many layers and levels, and um, I, I heard that there was an Echo spinoff show kind of in development, and yep. I'd heard that, I saw, what's that? I said it's been approved. It's Yay. yeah, it's yeah. She's great, which is awesome. And um, but and I heard that the that that actor, his name is Froffy, he's Irish. Um, he hadn't um, he hadn't yet heard that he was in that show. I mean, you know, they can never say. But um, but it'd be great if he <laughs> continued. I thought I think he's a great portrayal. I love their relationship. Um, it's a really um, fun um, relationship to observe as it evolves. Here's a question. Are you enjoying the shows more than the movies or movies more than the shows? Oh, that's a great question. I think I'm liking the shows more just because. Yeah, I, I think it depends. It depends mm -hmm. on the storyline. Uh, Cause I like, I was a huge fan of Shang-Chi. I mean, I thought mm -hmm. that was just solid, solid. Um, but like, I still haven't watched the Eternals. Cause like, it doesn't, I mean, I would like to see it. Um, I'm not like definitely not in the category of people that are like unnecessarily hating on Eternals. Uh, but like, I also don't want to pay like 20 bucks to go see it in the theaters. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's just kind of weighing that, but I think what's interesting about the storyline um, is, you know, kind of, like you said, the long form storytelling that they're doing. Um, and I think it's giving, you know, like, like this series in particular, uh, Jeremy Renner has really never had the chance to shine. He's been the kind of comic relief in the movies. Um, and he really, like the man, you know, was, I, I, he, I know he was nominated. I don't know if he won the Oscar for Hurt Locker. Like he's, he's like the legit. Um, and so he's really having that opportunity to kind of shine his, his acting skills and, and really kind of show this kind of retired, you know, trying to get out of the game uh, superhero, which we, we really haven't seen um, before and that he's he's tired. Like you get that sense throughout that he's just tired, that he just wants to like go home and, you know, rest. And, and he keeps getting <laughs> dragged into stuff. Um, you know, it, it seems that that's kind of the arc of, of Clint's character, that every time he tries to retire, he gets dragged in, like we saw in, in Civil War, um, you know, when he has to go. That's one of my scenes, my favorite scenes in, in Civil War, when he goes to rescue Wanda. Um, and he's just like, I can't, I can't retire. Like, you guys can't, you know, kind of settle down long enough for me to, uh, you know, have a life. So... Um, I'm just, I'm really excited for that. I, I appreciate he, I'm rooting for him to get home. I, yeah. I want to see the character spend Christmas with his family. Like that's, it's hard to pull that off mm -hmm. that you, from, uh, again, his Hawkeye has been maybe two dimensional at best in the movies. You know, they, they haven't done, again, this is what's, problem with having too many characters in, in a movie you know if you do a magic two or three you can actually do a lot uh, but it's hard to do it with seven uh, mm -hmm. or, or more but it's like I want to see him get home I want to, I would I'd be happy with an episode of just him with the wife and kids like but that's me 
Stephen, any your thoughts? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Gabby. I think it really depends on the kind of the shape of the story. Um, but I really appreciate how um, we get to explore, as you said, Josh, the, the sort of the side characters or maybe the the B plot characters who are in the films and learning more about their um, interface with the universe and how they relate with other characters. It's so gratifying, for example, when like Yelena shows up in the show after the post credit scene and um, in Black Widow. And I, I think Marvel and, um, and Disney have really tapped into that sense of gratification when you can make those connections and see how people are interrelated. Um, I think it's a really great storytelling um, device um, that they've really um, leveraged well in this universe. Great. Well, again, this is a great Christmas gift because we get to keep talking about it and uh, look forward to, you know, what we get in episode five. And, and with that, thanks for the analysis and everyone, thanks for tuning in. Leave a re review where you listen to us, whether it is iTunes or Spotify, uh, Amazon podcasts, we're, we're there. So with everyone, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay geeky.